There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by Scottish Labour leader, Anis Sarwar. Don't forget, if you ever miss an episode, simply search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. And if you have a question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So gentlemen, Rishi Sunak delivered his spring budget on Wednesday. Reaction to it was almost universally negative. Were they being too unfair on your pal Sunak, Tom? Right, Donald, let's get this straight. He's no my pal. Is he no longer your pal? I have never (laughs) met the man. I've never spoken to the man. I've never emailed the man. But I quite admire him. But he's no my pal. Okay. Okay, he's not your pal. Did you admire what he did? Let's start from there. Right, so a difficult job, I would say, being the Chancellor at this particular time, So, the UK government spent about £400 billion trying to ease the burden of COVID. And that's with um, furlough, bounce-back loans, etc., etc., etc. £400 billion, that is a big, big number. We then have a creaking NHS, ageing population, people living longer, and the care crisis that is upon us. So... If you're sitting being the Chancellor trying to balance the books, there's no chance of balancing them right now. So, a couple of things he did which I liked. He cut the fuel duty, five pence, good. He moved the NI threshold up from about 9,500 to 12,750. That is a tax cut for the lowest paid workers. About 30 million people received a tax cut from, from that. So, those were the good things. Then there was some financially jiggery-pokery, Willie. I, I saw it described as, which I quite liked. There is a windfall coming because of inflation and these higher taxes and VAT that he's bringing in on fuel and all these other things. And he did move up the NI for employers as well as employees. And he has frozen the threshold and the tax bans, which basically means tax. more people are coming into higher tax bans. About a million people are going to pay in a higher tax band. But what is he supposed to do? He can't solve every problem, as I think that's what he said. So a difficult job has also been completely cynical and kept something up his sleeve as a bribe in the next election. So there we go. Some good things, some bad things, some political things. What else did we expect? Well, what did you expect, Willie? Were you happy with it? No, I wasn't. <laughs> and um, it's interesting if you read the 
Tory leaning press the next day to a man, to a paper, no one was happy with it. So this is a drop in the ocean to what the people need. So I'm asking again, like I asked last week, what you could do is, is talk to the Prime Minister and talk to the other ministers and please can we put it into a law that no one can get their utilities cut off in the next two years. That's what they could do. That doesn't cost them any money. What it does is it gives people time. It gives them longer to maybe pay the accruals or whatever they need to pay. But there is no doubt in my mind, if they don't do that, hundreds of thousands of people are going to be left with no electricity or gas. And it's, you know, as Tom said, there was a bit of jiggery-pokery. He actually, some of the commentators says he actually ends up better off. There's more tax take. So for me, no, he didn't do enough. And he must have been really disappointed because I'm sure he was looking forward to a few good, favourable headlines the next day and he never got any. Yeah, it's really surprising that a budget would go through and not one single paper offered support. But if I go back to NI, because last week you called for that increase to be put on hold. But of course, this move was to raise the threshold by 3,000 to 12,570. Do you think that was enough? Is that the sensible way? Are you quite happy with that? Is that a well, compromise? I think that the people with the broadest shoulders should carry the biggest burden. Absolutely. Willie and I don't mind paying our tax to, to help here because, as Willie said, I mean, we are now living in a country where a family has to choose, do, do I feed my wains or do I put on the electric? It's, it's hard to believe and it's, it's a disgrace. So what better could be done I like the fact that he put up the threshold because it helps those in the greatest need. I wouldn't have, have put on the NI hike on employers, on businesses and on, on employees at this time. It needs to come, Donald, because that's going to pay for the NHS mm-hmm. and the care. You know, if you're sitting being the Chancellor, the queue outside your door saying, can you help me with this, is huge. And he has got to try and balance all that with, and he's a politician, with not just balance the books, but make sure that his party gets back into power. Um, I understand that. He should have did more for hardworking families who are at the lower rung here. I would agree with Willie 100% on that. Yeah, I think the most startling revelation this week is is that they're predicting now that people's living standards will be the worst in 30 years. That's yeah. appalling. And so really, the, the Chancellor should have done much, much more. And unfortunately, what you'll get here, and people hinted at it, you'll wait for the big tax giveaways when there's, you know, everyone plays politics. People need it the now. So you keep that up your sleeve until it gets to the next election, then you look like a giveaway, you know, then is shocking. People are going to be desperate, absolutely desperate, in the next 18 months. So do you think this promise of a future 1p tax cut, and people are hinting that actually it'll be 2p plus a lot more, is just very cynical? So or is it about prudent, careful balancing no, of the budget? Politics. It's completely cynical politics. Politics, <laughs> timing. You know, and, and everyone sees through that now, but they don't care. And I don't think, you know... It probably used to resonate with people when they thought it was great, but I think a lot more people now are paying attention to what's going on. And there'll be so many people upset with what's going to happen in the next two years. They'll be lucky if they get to another election if they're not ripped out of government, if they don't do something drastic. And just remember, from a Scottish point of view, 
we get about another £350 million from the Barnet consequentials of this. Now, that will be down to the Scottish Government to decide how to spend it. They'll probably never tell us and they'll not be transparent where it went, don't know. But anyway, they have they have got that. And um, But the other interesting thing is, if you earn a, anything over £28,000 in Scotland now, you pay quite a bit more tax than the rest of the UK. Yeah. Mm. Let's not let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah. We we said that last week. Tom said come back. You know the the, the program the week before was a wee bit maybe doom and gloom. We're here to report it as it is. And even since last week, when we said that, the indicators coming for the states and the global indicators at the moment. You know, we're now talking about. You know, we said that we've been ahead of the curve. We're now talking about double digits for inflation. Right, we're talking about that they're actually pre-warning you in the states. You know that Paul was telling you last week. This will be the first of six rises. Mm -hmm. So, so you don't need to think about it. So you know in the states they're going to go from 0.25 in interest rates to at least 1.75. Any of the millennials here in the UK who are used to paying two, two point two five for a mortgage, what happens when that goes to five? We're not talking about it going to fifteen or going to ten. When it goes to five, they're going to need to find double the money. Some of the, the things that have come out this week in relation to the supply chain, to inflation, to where interest rates are gone at the moment, if we were not talking about Ukraine at the moment, which we should be, right, we'd be talking about the global economy, right, which really for me at the moment is really bordering on something drastic happening. Well, bring it back to the, the budget. Maybe some good news for you, Willie. There'll be zero VAT for the next five years on energy-efficient home renovations. On heat pumps, Willie. Zero <laughs> VAT and heat pumps. I'm not going to buy the heat pumps. I just meant the general principle. Yeah. Was that a clever yeah. move? Donald, we actually have to talk about heat pumps, oh, right? Oh, come on, please. Just, and, and I'm, just not going to, I'm not going to mention, right, but I read a journalist in your newspaper this oh, week. Oh, the Herald, the Herald. about... It was a the, columnist. The new, the new heat pump, right? But columnist. I need to tell you something. Can you please pass them a message, right? <laughs> there is no way that you can call a heat pump a renewable, right? <laughs> there is no way that you can say that a heat uh, pump has halved your carbon emissions, <laughs> right? And there is no way that actually that our electricity bill is going to be less than it was last year. So I look forward to reading our column in two years' time. I'd hoped you'd missed that. Oh, I didn't <laughs> miss it. Oh, no. This, I wasn't miss a journalist, but it was a columnist and it was yeah. her own opinion. I'd love opinion. to have a chat with her if she wants to give me a call. Well, sorry, I've just... <laughs> I've given half a hint to who wrote the article. <laughs> uh, well, Sunak was saying he also wants to reform the UK corporate tax system. What should he do, Tom? Oh, goodness. Well, I mean, corporate tax, I think we talked about it in a previous show, that the... The tax code in Britain is one of the most complicated books. It's like 800 pages or something of tax law. Let's simplify it. But in regard to business, and this is the same for individuals as it is for business, let's put the taxes on profits. You've got to make profits first, right? But let's put the thresholds up so that growing businesses can take their profits and reinvest and employ more people and pay more tax. So really put your thresholds up. But then if you've got a good business making good profits, yeah, let's have a graduated tax. Absolutely. But let's, I, let's make it simple. But I think this is a good point. The difference between increasing corporation tax, which I am not against, 
is against putting NI up. You put you have to pay that tax whether you're making money or you're losing not. money. That's it. We don't mind paying money if you're making money. We don't mind paying more tax. I'm yep. desperate to get you to say something positive, Willie, about budget because he's he's also <laughs> reviewing the way in which the tax system supports employers looking to provide training for staff. It could see changes to the apprenticeship levy, and oh. you've called for this. So, do you welcome it, Willie? Uh, Come on. I would just like to say that I would. I'm delighted to see that potentially my lobbying has come to fruition. It's the very first thing that you should look at, right? And I tell you, he's going to have to look at it. If we keep going the way we're going at the moment, we are going to need to find a way of getting young people into work. Yes. Guaranteed. And the, the apprenticeship levy is a complete and utter waste of time. It had the opposite effect of what it was trying to do. Well, do you have a way, being a peer in the House of Lords, to, will he read your notes if yeah. you sent them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will ask a question. Right. But what 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 I find what I found it's easier to do is to write direct. Right. And you'll not believe it. It probably has more gravitas as an employer, a large employer who's got apprentices than it does being a peer. Right. Okay. Right. Which is fine. But you're both. Yes. Yeah. Which is fine. Private email addresses. Uh, or no, 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 are you doing no, no, so no, this no. transparent? Is this what I'm suggesting? Is, is any such a politicians, thing? <laughs> any politician would do that. Anyway, moving on, but still sticking with politics. Maybe latest news on Scotland's ferries makes for pretty grim reading. Rusting hulks at the state-owned Ferguson Marine Yard, beset by building design issues, gone to audit Scotland. At least five years late and costs have more than doubled to at least £240 million. What on earth has gone wrong and what should we do to fix it, Tom? <laughs> oh, dear, oh dear. Tough one for well, you. Well, I, I actually saw the ferry, Willie, because I was, I was in Port Glasgow last Saturday night. I was up there for the... Tom, I need to correct you. It's not a ferry now. <laughs> it's a ducat. <laughs> 300 well, pigeons living in it. <laughs> I, I passed the ducat at Port Glasgow because I was up at the line of duty night for the Ardgowan Hospice brilliant. with Martin Comps yeah. and the rest. It was, it was brilliant. 600 people in Port Glasgow Town Hall. But I did pass the Ferguson Yard. I'd never seen it before. And um, what has gone wrong? Oh, goodness. I think it went wrong right from the start, if I'm honest about it and... It was one of um, Willie and I's friends who was in there, Jim, Jim McCall. And um, I think everybody was a bit carried away. Yeah, we can build ships in the Clyde again. And, and who wouldn't want to support that, frankly? But it didn't work out. And I really like the cut of Stephen Boyle's jib, who's at Audit Scotland now, because he's came out in the past couple of weeks and he's not held back trying to find where the money went for the COVID, trying to find out what's happened in the ferries. And he has said that <laughs> this is weakness in process, weakness in governance, weakness in transparency. So what's went wrong? Everything. Well, it was all Derek Mackay's fault, wasn't it, Willie? <laughs> well, according to the First Minister, it was. <laughs> but um, I think the phrase used was, you know, he was thrown under a bus... Well, if she's throwing people under buses, it'll need to be a 12-wheeler, you know. <laughs> Who, who's going under it for press week? Who's going under it for bifab? Who's going oh, under it for every other? You know, oh. so it's going to need to be a big bus. But I, I think that uh, whatever happened back in the day, a contract so large and, and jobs that were so important to an area, if, if you want to build ships or boats, get somebody that knows how to build them, right? And I'm sure... 
Jim thought he was doing a good deed at the time, stepping in. Yep. Right, and then he found out all the complexities and all the differences and, and the complexity of dealing with the government. And obviously that became a big bun fight, you know, nearly ending in court. But I, I just say that I haven't seen anything that there's been any learning. You know, no, nobody learned from, from there. Then they went to Presswick. Then they went to no one. I mean, I haven't seen anything that's been a success. Surely, Willie, the bottom line is business people can't run government, and government shouldn't be running businesses. Yep. Let's just let's just leave it there, Donald, because it's a farce. Well, let's let's end on a slightly lighter yes, note. Yes, come on, let's lighten. You know, you had your wee bets on inflation. So oh, look we'll on there, Donald, yeah, are we? Would you like to revise your figures? And the other one I'm throwing in is growth figures, which have been slashed uh, to 3.6% for 2022, and that was down from 6%. And next year, they reckon it's going to be 1.8%. So what's inflation going to be and what's growth going to be, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you coming to me first? I have no idea. You, you just I, looked like you were going to give you, me an answer no, no, there. Donald, you said we're going to try to line it up, right? I, honestly, I'm sorry, I've got to burst your bubble. I will, I'll answer that in one question, recession. Oh, dear. Oh, no, please, please. Right, so, oh, goodness. So, I, I'm just hoping there's not going to be a recession, but, you know, the indicators are not good right now. I think it is too hard to come up with the numbers just now there are too many variables so when economists build their financial models you know predicting the future is difficult stuff and um, what they say about economists they have predicted nine out of the last three recessions <laughs> but I'm still an optimist I still see entrepreneurs out there I still see business people out there grafting away finding a way around problems making a good business, growing a good business, and um, my money's on them. Well, someone who could be upbeat is the Scottish Labour leader, Anna Sarwar, and he's joining us just after the break. Don't forget, if you want to join the boardroom, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and if you ever miss an episode of the show, simply search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. Business show with workflow solutions, helping your business digitize its documents. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security, and more. As a true managed service provider, workflow solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we turn the guest spotlight on the leader of the Scottish Labour Party, Anna Sarwar, MSP. If you want free business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, simply email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode, you can catch it by searching for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. But before we talk politics and business in the latest of our brilliant series on Great Scots, we tell the story of Robert Thompson. Robert William Thompson was born in Stonehaven, Aberdeenshire in 1822 the son of a local mill owner and 11th of 12 children. His parents wanted him to join the ministry, but Robert refused, not least because he struggled to come to terms with Latin. 
Instead, he was sent to stay with an uncle in Charleston, South Carolina to learn the trade of a merchant, but returned home two years later. It was at this point that young Robert finally found something which he could excel. He taught himself chemistry, electricity, and astronomy with the assistance from a local weaver who had some knowledge of mathematics. This led to apprenticeships and engineering workshops in Aberdeen and Dundee, and he learned civil engineering in Edinburgh and Glasgow. While working in Edinburgh, Thompson invented a system for detonating explosives remotely using electricity, greatly reducing the loss of lives in mines throughout the world. With just six pounds in his pocket, Robert moved to London looking for a fresh challenge and entered the growing field of railway engineering, forming his own railway consultancy in 1844. The following year, aged only 23, he applied for the patent that would leave his mark on the world. The pneumatic rubber tyre, which Thompson called the aerial wheel, was a rubberized fabric tube filled with air enclosed in a hollow leather tyre. This tyre provided a cushion of air between the ground and the vehicle, transforming road travel from a succession of uncomfortable bumps and jolts into a quiet, smooth ride. Unfortunately, Thompson's invention was ahead of its time, as in 1845 there were no cars to take advantage of his invention. This lack of demand, together with the high production costs, reduced pneumatic tyres to a mere curiosity. Thompson then went to work for an engineering firm in Java, but he continued to generate new innovations, including the first successful mechanical road haulage vehicle and the humble fountain pen. He amassed a large sum from his inventions and lived very comfortably in a huge townhouse in Edinburgh where he died on the 8th of March 1873, aged 50. In 1888, 15 years after Thompson's death, fellow Scot, John Dunlop, patented his own pneumatic tyre. By now, bicycles were increasingly common and cars were beginning to appear, so it was the name Dunlop rather than Thompson that would be recorded in the history books. However, Dunlop lost his main patent after it was discovered that the principle of the pneumatic tyre had already been patented by Robert Thompson, a remarkable inventor and father of modern transport. Well, where would we be if we didn't have those tyres given the state of the roads these days, eh, Tom? So he was the man who reinvented the wheel. <laughs> oh, oh, please leave the jokes for Willie. I know. <laughs> Willie tells the jokes, that's it. Right. But I didn't actually know that story. And, and that's what's great about this um, part of the show. It just brings out... And then it was another Scott who went on with Dunlop, Willie. No, another great example and another great example of the entrepreneurial um, spirit where... And Lop just grabbed his idea. <laughs> <laughs> and keeping the wheels turning, we're now joined by Anna Sarwar, leader of the Scottish Labour Party. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure being here, Donald, in such esteemed company. I've, oh, I don't know about I that. I feel honoured. You're very welcome. Welcome, leader. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking. He's going to get his own back in a minute. He's just warming oh, yes. me up. It's He's just warming me up. He's warming up. He's warming up. Well, we were talking earlier about Rishi Sunak's spring budget. So what was your take on it and... What would you have done differently for the economy, business and those struggling with the rise in cost and living? I think the, the biggest problem you've got is this is the biggest fall in living standards since rationing. And we did not get a spring statement that confronted the scale of the crisis. And it's right, I mean, everyone's right to be talking about the cost of living crisis. Actually, there's a cost of running a business crisis as well. We're rightly talking about household income, household bills, but actually, if, you're, if the cost of running your business is doubling, for in many cases for a lot of people, that's going to impact again on prices, it's going to impact again on how many staff you can take on, and that's going to only further exacerbate the cost of living crisis. So really what you needed to do was to find a way of putting more money in people's pockets. That's 
cutting the VAT on fuel um, is fine, one option, but you're probably saving about a quid from filling a tank. If you're filling up your own car, he obviously wasn't filling up his own car. Um, <laughs> but if, but, but actually, a, a more significant cut in fuel duty would have been more appropriate. Um, I think looking at the imbalance between those that are making super profits out of the energy crisis and make sure that money went into people's pockets, um, I think a, a proper windfall tax on the big energy companies who are making £44,000 in profit a minute um, if they put that money directly into people's pockets, it would have made a huge, huge difference. And then actually a contingency fund around that as well so businesses could get access to uh, support around their, their bills. It's still a tax increase, Chancellor as well, letting people keep more of their own money in their own pocket, I think was a huge opportunity um, for them. And then this rebate scheme, which has been re replicated here in Scotland, which is less than four quid a week, it's not going to touch the sides for people. It needed to be a much more progressive policy that put money in directly to people's pockets. And then this whole £200 loan, it should just be a grant. It shouldn't be a loan. So driving that economic intervention, I think, would have been a much, much more important thing for the Chancellor to do. But, but he's missed the opportunity and people are going to pay a really, really heavy price for it. Yeah, I think what was cynical about it as well, to then hint about, you know, potentially tax reductions, you no know, heading up for the next elections, yeah. I thought was a wee bit below the belt. Well, people's bills are going up right now. Yes. There's no point promising someone they're going to get to keep more of their own money in two years' time. Yeah. They need the money now. But, yeah. well, he's a politician. What did yeah. we expect? Well, well let's well, ask a politician. Well, if, if he does go well, not ahead, all that bad, come on. If he does go ahead with a 1p cut in income tax, and we all really think it'll be 2p, of course, in Scotland, there's a difference, income tax. You said if Labour were in power, would you maintain the difference between Scotland and the rest of the UK? I think the challenge you've got is um, if, if we are going to be more progressive in what we do with the money that we raise, then is, is cutting income tax to the extent that we're suggesting in Scotland, what impact would it have on Scotland's budget? So we've got to, we've got to look about how we get money into people's pockets. And the big, massive gap, actually, in Scotland has been not just in terms of the tax debate, but since the start of the Scottish Parliament, we have not had a serious debate about economic development and economic growth in Scotland. And if we can grow Scotland's economy, that means more money going into the Scottish government's coffers and more ability to spend on our public services. And the problem we've got, and this is a fundamental Labour problem that we're trying to address, but actually I think it's a wider Scottish politics problem, is you can have all the great social policy ideas in the world unless it's backed up with a strong foundation of a strong economy. You can't fund them, you can't deliver them. And that's why we are saying quite loudly and proudly that Scottish Labour is now a pro-business, pro-growth party. We want to work with industry across the country to grow the economy, people to make profits so they can pay taxes so we can invest in our NHS and other services. Well, the SNP recently put forward their 10-year economic strategy. Tom and Willie had strong views on it. What parts of that do you support and what would Labour it's do all differently? It's all rhetoric. I mean, if you've got the business organisations and the trade unions all unified in thinking it's not worth the paper is written on, then that, that shows you've got a problem. And you just need to look around the city of Glasgow. This is not a government or a council that understands economic development. So they can have all the best ideas in the world written on paper. They're not backing up with investment. They're not backing up with ideas. There's no grand strategic vision. What's the last big infrastructure project we had in the city of Glasgow? It was building one and a half miles of motorway on the M74. That's the extent of the ambition we've had. At the same time, we don't have a direct flight to the US till, if we're lucky, 2023. Where is the economic development plan that's going to drive Glasgow's economy, going to drive our regional economy, therefore drive our national economy? And this is an economics ideas-free zone here in Scotland, and that's got to fundamentally change. 
And it's, it's funny, Tom says it every week that the greatest social policy that anyone can have is get someone a job, creating jobs. And I've got to say on your point about the airport, I was horrified to hear that this week. You know, I was out at the, the airport with um, Derek Proven this week yep. looking at you know, the, what it could do for the refugees and some buildings that he had there. But I couldn't believe it when he told me that, that there was no direct flights to the States you know, for at least an hour two. And we'll be lucky after that. That is a major, major drawback when you're trying to get inward investment. You know, Ma massive, massive for lots of different reasons. So if we think about the stication market, which has obviously been a big thing through the course of the pandemic, you, are th you spend three times as much money if you travel from abroad into Scotland as a tourist than if you travel from somewhere else in the UK. So just by make, just making up the shortfall from the market within Scotland or within the UK is not enough. We need to attract international people to come. When they come, we don't even have a connection from the airport into the city centre. Yeah. Or if they're in the city centre, the public transport shuts down at 7 o'clock on a Sunday. You know, it, it is not a well-thought-through economic strategy that roots in terms of uh, transport as well as the actual inward investment in terms of uh, business and it requires a complete rehaul and rethink. I know you and I have had lots of conversations about this before, Willie, but the only way we're going to get high streets and city centres reinvigorated again is if more people live in those high streets and, and around those high streets and those city centres. Uh, if we have an integrated affordable transport system and if we attract international people to come spend money here, do tourism here and do business here. And we've got to demonstrate Scotland is open. And that means projecting confidence. We've got to demonstrate that confidence. I think it's really refreshing um, to hear you make the link between business growth and the civil society, which I don't think MD would disagree with about what, what the values of Scotland are and what they should be. But we probably all disagree about how we actually get there, but it's refreshing to hear you say the link between a thriving business economy paying the tax to pay for the civil society because too often politicians, in my opinion, think there's a magic money tree of which they can spend. Mm. But all, all politicians can do is to tax businesses and individuals and then decide how to spend it. But my problem with... Um, the overall national economic 10-year plan was just the fact that it isn't governments who actually create the jobs. Governments set a framework and a vision and then it's entrepreneurs and business people and we've got to get over that. You know, 70 action plans in it, that's the government trying to micromanage the economy. It, you know, business people can't run government. You're much better than that than us. But politicians should not be running businesses. What do you think about that? So I don't disagree with that, but what I think, po politics also shouldn't be separate from business. No, and, no. And, I, and I tell you what I mean by that is, you mentioned the ferries. The ferries is a good example. You know, we are, because we haven't strengthened the supply chains, because we haven't created the skills here uh, at home, because we haven't supported companies here at home, we are now giving ferry contracts to Poland, to Turkey, and to other places. That's creating jobs there, not creating jobs here. We've got the Scotland project. Okay, fantastic. We're going to get around £700 million of receipts in in terms of loaning out the offshore capacity. But what, what work was done underneath that to create the supply chains here in Scotland where the opportunities of all the business growth that's going to come would be spent in Scotland and create jobs in Scotland? Instead, the wind turbines we built in Indonesia, we've created jobs in Indonesia. They're not going to be coming here. So what intervention can the government have 
that helps drive the economy, helps give a strategy to the economy and helps entrepreneurs be entrepreneurs and create wealth and opportunity. So where the opportunity for government is, is to break down barriers, to give the strategy, to give the overlook and allow people to thrive. We have got creativity here in Scotland, but we're not allowing people to, to demonstrate that creativity. We're holding them back. You know, Anis, that what happens, you know, we, we've accused of all parties of not being close enough to, to business. But you know what happens when that happens? You know, you get people want to write stories of corruption, all, the, all of this sort of stuff. What do we do at the moment to try and demonstrate and build a transparent way where business is happy? People who would like to help in business don't want to get near politicians of, of all colours because I don't want to read about myself in the front of the Herald or the Sun or whatever tomorrow, right? How do we how do we build that so people are not reluctant to get involved because they may get their head chopped off? Well, one part is chinning editors like Donald Martin to, yes. to write positive <laughs> stories, uh, yeah. not just negative ones. But, but the, se the serious point, we don't call out. Yeah. The reality is that we have, we have allowed a narrative to build that anyone that wants to get involved or has a social conscience yeah. but doesn't want to be an elected politician is doing it because they've got the wrong motives or bad moments yeah. or they want something back in return. There's lots of people across our country, COVID demonstrated it, that they want to just help their local community. Mm -hmm. they, they've, they've either uh, went, been successful, made good of themselves and want to give something back or they're rooted in their community in terms of the business they operate, because of what they get back from their employees, is why not call out and say business is a force for good? Of course, there are bad business examples. P&O Ferries being the perfect example of that. Yeah. But for every P&O Ferries, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of good quality businesses, most of them family-owned and family-run, that are doing their best, trying to get by, and trying to support the local community. So how we support people to say it has to be a partnership between the private sector, the voluntary sector, and the public sector. This public sector, everything the public sector does is brilliant. Everything the private sector does is bad. It's frankly nonsense. Right. So, um, so how you work in partnership Anna's, is really important. I've got my magic wand on this Sunday morning, and you're now First Minister. Ding! What's you come back and do that in four years' time when the election <laughs> happens. That's a... If only I had that power. Um, what's the top three things you're going to do for business? Business. Well, f f first thing is, is how do we have a proper, deliverable, credible economic development plan that looks at, yes, our national economy, but also looks at regional economies? How are we treating it like Scotland PLC to go and actually give confidence to the world that this is a place that's open for business and you can invest in? at a national level, and then how do you create roles and responsibilities around regional economies for them to thrive? Having this monolith that sits across the whole of the country that, that puts money into glory projects that are going to be successful anyway, which is largely what Scottish Enterprise does, is simply not good enough. How do you push the power down, work in partnership with local businesses, and allow them to grow regional economies? That's the first part. The second one is, is why not say to the, the best exporters we have or potential exporters we have in Scotland, we're going to go and create hubs around the world, we're going we're to get you on that plane, we're going to go out, we're going to sell your business to the world. The what, one condition we're going to do is you've got to build it in Scotland, you've got to create the jobs in Scotland, and we're going to help you export it to other parts of the world. That's the second part. And the third one is there's a skills gap. There's a massive skills gap. And at the moment, we see our education policy separate to our economic policy. Why not partner good business with our universities, with our schools and our colleges and say, you know what skills you're going to need in the next five or 10 years' time. Work with these schools, work with these young people, 
So we've got that skill supply chain. So we've got the supply chain these businesses need in terms of their employees so you can be successful local businesses. Let's change the way we think. Okay. Would, you, would you support that we could encourage some of the foreign students that come, you know, who we, we educate to become very clever young people to have them, you know, visas extended so they could stay and live and work here? So one of the things we should absolutely have to look at is immigration. So at the moment we've got this um, theory that you need a wholesale new immigration system here in Scotland and it gets into the wider constitutional debate or it gets the independence debate. If you remember when we had the Fresh Talent Scheme when Jack McConnell was First Minister, that was a demonstration that where you've got two governments willing to work together, you can create a scheme that meets local needs. There is no reason why we can't do that again, where we attract people to come here, study here, and stay here and work here and contribute here. The same also applies the other way around. So if you, so if you think about aspiration for young people, young people's aspirations have changed. Yes, there are lots of young people that are forced to move away from the local community because it's the only chance they've got of getting a skill. That should happen. Young people should be able to stay local if they want to stay local. But there's also lots of young people that want to go out and explore the world, learn about the world, learn skills from other parts of the world and bring them back to Scotland. Why don't we support that? Yeah. Why are we so cautious about that? It's good we don't have tuition fees here in Scotland, but why not support young kids to go around the world and learn skills and bring them back to Scotland? That's the kind of big thinking and big ideas I think we need yeah. rather than making th this constant debate we have is everything's great here, everything's bad everywhere else and we tinker around the edges. Yeah. We've got to have a fundamental rethink of how we do our economy. You mentioned there are two governments and it ties in nicely with a question from Karen McLean who posted on our Facebook page. What would Labour be able to do differently from the SNP when it's ruled by Westminster? But again, the the question is so loaded. Indeed, it where, is. Where, yes, where we where we have on social media. where we have where <laughs> we have this are. assumption that somehow there is a master somewhere else that doesn't allow us to do what we need to do what's right for our country. Politicians have powers for a reason. Now, the, my biggest frustration with Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP is they obsess so much on all the things that they can't do and the powers they don't have. See if they put half of that energy into focusing on the powers that they do have, just think about how transformational our country could be. The job of people that are in power is to think about the powers they have and what they can use them for to change people's lives. That's the job. The job is not to get elected to then pretend you're in opposition to a government somewhere else. There is options we can do here. We've talked about transport. We've talked about the airports. We've talked about tourism and trade. We've talked about greater local investment. We've talked about regional economic development. We've not even talked about wider public services. These are all things we've got the power to deal with here in Scotland. What we lack is the political will. And what I want to do over the next four years is work with people across the country to, one, develop the political will, come up with the ideas and come up with a programme and a plan that delivers for people across Scotland, regardless of how they voted in the referendum in 2014. Anis, we have many guests over the last few weeks um, who all bring up the one subject, right, that they think is really unfair. Football! Uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> well, that's privately with me and the The question of um, empty property tax and the whole taxing of retail um, does Labour have any ideas, out-the-box ideas about what, you know, this is again a business question, what you would do to help on this? So I'll give you one practical local example, uh, Willie. Sucky Hall Street. Sucky Hall Street was the, okay, the prime street in, uh, was, was Buchanan Street, you know, second highest footfall after Oxford Street when, when we were at our peak pre-COVID. Sucky Hall Street was like our second most prime street in the west of Scotland. Go look at it now. There are two let signs everywhere, empty property everywhere. We can we can make a choice. We can either choose to keep them empty 
or turn them into charity shops um, and decimate the uh, street. Or we can think to ourselves, how can we be creative about attracting good quality brands to come and operate in Sucky Hall Street, redevelop Sucky Hall Street so you've got good quality housing in and around Sucky Hall Street as well so people live on the street as well as do footfall and spend on the street. That, that requires big thinking and that means attracting people. And if you've got to give incentives to attract people, what are we afraid of? Instead, what's happening right now is because of all the bureaucracy we put in, because of the culture that we've created in Scotland, if someone's got a business decision to make and they think, actually, I can go to Newcastle, Birmingham, Manchester, I can go to Glasgow, I'll probably get less grief if I go to Birmingham, Newcastle or Manchester. We've got to compete with those cities as well as other cities around the world and that means giving people incentives and we shouldn't be shy about it. I actually was in London this week and one of my meetings was meeting some entrepreneurs who want to take advantage of the lowering of occupancy costs on the high street and in shopping centres and they are creating experiences, you know, so it's crazy golf, it's darts, it's table tennis, along with a, a leisure concept. And they're they're absolutely brilliant. They're brimming with ideas. Um, and those are the sort of people who will transform mm. the high street. I don't know today what it's going to be, but entrepreneurs will try things. And if it's an easy in, easy out um, way of trial, learn by doing, that didn't quite work, let's try this, then that's how we will transform our high streets. Um, but that needs someday, yep. and maybe it's government, to bring local authorities to the table on the rates and to bring landlords, because there's usually disparate ownership, um, should come together and, and just partner with these type mm. of entrepreneurs. They will decide because yep. they're closest to the customer. Yep. I don't think it's government's job to do that. I don't think it's local authorities' job to do it. They're, but, but the attractions point is really important. They are part of the answer, Anas. But they shouldn't be dictating, you know, all right, here's what you should do. No, that's that's down to the customer yep. through the entrepreneurs. Yep. But the attraction point is really important because if you think about the culture of the high street, what used to happen is people would go to the city centres or town centres to shop and they might go into a hospitality venue, they might go into a bar, restaurant, or a, or a club. It's the opposite now. People are going to go to town centres and high streets to go to the restaurant, to go to the bar, and they might shop. So how you create attractions to go to the, to the high streets is, is really, really uh, important. Um, and then in terms of entrepreneurship, we don't teach entrepreneurship in Scotland. We have... We have well, we try. We've got a centre at Strathclyde you, University. You, you, have, you, of course, do. I mean, in terms of <laughs> as, as a government, if you think about culture... We have a culture in Scotland where we say to young people, go get skills and you'll only ever kind of aspire to work for somebody. Where are we saying to young people, actually go learn skills and aspire to be an entrepreneur, to be an innovator, and the state will back you up? Well, we, we don't do enough of that. We've been, the two of us have tried very hard over the years. For, uh, for it's quite time. obvious, like, you know, you have to visit Entrepreneurial Spark and The Edge and all of yep. these things we've tried to do. But one of the things, serious question, Anna says, is are you aware that one of the the things that is really killing the city centre at the moment is the is the rise in antisocial behaviour. Massive issue. M massive, massive issue. I can remember when I was used to go out on a Friday and a Saturday when I was in my teens and antisocial behaviour and, you know, violence was a, was a real issue in Glasgow and we did a great job in terms of reducing that. The violence reduction unit was a huge part of that. Yep. Um, I, I, I feel as if that has shifted. I'll, I'll be partly 
coming out of the pandemic that shifted partly because the city centre feels a bit more deserted now which will have shifted that um, and so there is that antisocial behaviour there is that part how we address that is partly alternatives so how you support young people to be doing alternative things and, and feeling a stake in their own local community partly is partnership between police and business I know how frustrated local businesses are when they reported the police and the police say look our hands are tied there's not much we can do about it that is that is really really demoralizing for lots of businesses that are investing their own money and 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 then getting that response. So how do you partner to 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 overcome that is a huge that, issue. And as business people, we do not understand that. I'm standing in a in a in a lovely venue the other night there where the guy just spent a million pound in the inside, mm. and he takes a picture of out the window of 15 or 16 young people setting fire to all this stuff right in the middle of Royal Exchange mm. Square, mm. right and. We just don't get that. Our hands are tied. Yep. So, you know, so so I, I don't know why the police are, we can't work with the police, the authorities, to come and get these people rounded up and yep. taken away. Yep. They tell me the same small group there, um, you know, on the Tuesday evening, attack someone who was walking through. Surely me that, uh, somebody has to explain to me my hands are tied. What does yep. that mean? Well, yep. they're too young and you can't arrest them yep. or we can't put, you know, orders on them. That they, I believe we used to give orders to people you couldn't get into the city centre. Yep. Right, we have to do something because if this problem is getting in and if we don't get a grip of it very quickly, we won't be talking about Sucky Hall Street. We'll be talking yep. about... I mean, these guys are 50 yards away from Buchanan Street yep. where they're gathering. Yep. So really, I think some the local authority, whatever, we have to get together with the police to do something as soon as we can. I read Donald McLeod's article in the Herald just, just yep. talking about it. Now, to be fair, it's happening in loads of cities, mm -hmm. yep. right? But in, we, we don't... I'm only but it's, got, but it's got worse coming through the pandemic, I think. Yes. And part of that will be the whole psychological impact of the pandemic and kids being back out and about again. Yes. As well as, as I say, the, the, you know, if, if a place looks deserted or looks less invested in, you, you have less respect for it yeah. as well. So, so it is a connection. We've all been talking about it for an issue for some time. Certainly, where my editor ha have been with the City Council talking about it for like 10 years, nothing seems to get done. So if Labour was in power, what's the one thing you would do? Around antisocial behaviour? Yeah. So if you remember, we used to have these community support officers. So you actually had people in the community who, yes, were in a uniform, but actually they had a relationship and a knowledge with the community. They knew which ones to say, right, here you, enough, because they had a relationship with them. And then, But what happened when we went to the Police Scotland model is we lost that local knowledge and that local expertise and we made policing about public versus police rather than public working with the police. And that model shift has got to fundamentally change again because intervention actually really, really matters. It's who's intervening with these kids, one, to get them realise the impact that they're having, but also then giving them an alternative to do either for leisure or indeed for work and skills base. And if, if, if you don't do that, then what you're going to get is more antisocial behaviour because people are going to have feel less of a stake in their own local community. Yeah, it's, it's the exact same analogy you've given for bringing back the Lex. Yep. Right, you know, going local rather than Scottish Enterprise, yep. making all the decisions that you go local. And, but the problem that we have in the city centre, I understand how community policing works. In the city centre, we're getting kids coming from all parts. All over. I think that we need, you know, we need policemen there who are who don't know the audience but are yep. certainly dealing with it. I, I've got to say, only since I've noticed this problem in the last few months, I've actually been walking about with my eyes open and noticed the lack of police is unbelievable. Yep. You don't see a policeman anywhere. 
But you know, I think you don't think really if if so. Take take the city centre example. You, you mentioned one business has invested a significant amount of money yeah. in their own business in terms of internally in their own business and cosmetically with their own business. If the city centre itself feels let down, you're more likely to attract those elements. Whereas if it's booming, it's confident, it's buzzing, there's people about, you're not going to get the guy, the Egypt's coming to, you know, cause problems. Yes. So that that confidence building part is really, really important. And that's what's missing from the city centre at the moment. Yeah. The can confidence I, has gone out of the city centre. Can I change tack just for a minute? So I'm going to say you're the CEO of your business and your business has been unsuccessful for quite a long time now. Yes. So Shut as, down and start again. as the CEO, what are you going to do so that when the next election comes, you're going to be successful? How do you go about that? I, I genuinely don't no, it's know. A, it's, no, it's an it's a, it's a excellent question. And the, the first thing you've got to do is be honest about the scale of your problem and challenge. Any business that hides from the problems it's got isn't going to succeed. Yep. A business that looks at the problem it's got, analyzes them, accepts them, and then addresses the fundamental underlying issues. So, um, using the business analogy, if you don't have the right people working in your business, you're going to look at what the skills gap is and identifying the right talents. We've got to do that as a Labour Party. If your product's not good enough in your business, then people aren't going to buy the product. So our products ought to be better. That's partly message. That's partly policy platform. If your marketing's not right in your business in terms of how you sell that product uh, to the world and people aren't going to buy it, so how we project ourselves, how we communicate, all of that needs to be worked on. And if, it, and if your business doesn't move with the times, you're going to get left behind. We have not been a digital first political party since for, for God knows how long. We're now 22 years in the 21st century. We are now finally in the 21st century in terms of being a digital first political party. But how do we prepare for the next 20, 30 years is the big challenge. What is a fundamental failure of Labour politics, but also a fundamental failure of Scottish politics, is if you remember back to the TV debates during the last Scottish Parliament election, it's a fundamental failure of our politics that when the presenter in a TV debate asks a question, who here has a chance or is a candidate for first minister in the election, only one person was able to put their hand up. That's, not, that's a fundamental failure of our wider politics it and is, indeed yeah. of the Labour Party. And so I am, I am not saying there's a silver bullet. I'm not saying there's a quick fix. But I'm willing to do the hard work necessary so that in four years' time, when that situation happens again, I'm able to put my hand up credibly and say to people, I am a candidate for First Minister and this is, what we'll, this is how we'll change Scotland in the process. Okay. Well, thank you. Good Alice. answer. It was really interesting chat there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've enjoyed the chat. I think it's, listen, it's also easy to be in opposition <laughs> yeah. It's harder to govern, but I look forward to finding that out. But in the yes, well, um, um, maybe you'll get the chance. But I'm um, certainly from a business point of view, I've enjoyed the chat. I think you've been honest with us, and I think you've got some good ideas, and you're ambitious for Scotland. So good on you. Thank you. I appreciate Anis, it. Anis, thank you for coming on. Obviously, we've all already had Kate Forbes on. We'll need to look in the next few weeks of getting the Green candidate on and maybe the Lib Dem. I don't know if we've got a Lib Dem in Glasgow, but we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but thank you again for coming on. Thank My you. My pleasure. Thank you, Willie. After the break, we go into the boardroom where Tom and Willie answer your questions and offer free business advice. If you want to take part, simply email your questions to gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and if you ever miss an episode of the show, search for The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. 
helping your business with IT support, data security, and more. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security, and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with free business advice, insight and inspiration. If you want your questions read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. We're going to our phone lines now and our caller is Charlie Mulholland. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Hiya, Donald. Nice. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, delighted to have you. Um, but before you ask your question for Tom and Willie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? So uh, my name's Charlie and I run a, I run a small business called Zedify. Uh, we're a, a site logistics and a zero emission delivery service operating in Glasgow. And uh, we use cargo bikes and electric vans uh, predominantly for making our deliveries. Very good. Oh, that sounds yeah. really interesting. Um, what's your question for Tom and Willie? I run Zedify, a zero emissions uh, logistics company. My biggest client is a large multinational. We also work with local businesses, and I would like some advice on how you would promote to local services. All okay. right, Willie. Yeah, good question. Charlie, can I ask, would the large client that you have be quite happy if you use them for marketing? Yes, so, well, the large client is FedEx. Yeah. Um, so we do we do a lot of work with that. We currently run four bikes on the road in Glasgow for FedEx. And um, I actually also run the Ed the Edinburgh office of Zedify, and we run four bikes for FedEx in Edinburgh as well. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, for me, I would I, I know for a fact that back in the day when I had Asda as my biggest client, and I remember, and I'll tell you another one, when I had Budweiser as a client, I was absolutely delighted when Budweiser allowed me to use their logo when I was advertising for staff. The yeah. difference it made was unbelievable. So the one bit of advice I would give you is, although you're trying to get smaller local businesses to work with you, I think if you can portray to them that, you know, that it doesn't cost the earth to use your services, and if you can use a brand name like FedEx as an existing customer, I think would be invaluable. Yeah, I would agree with um, Willie, Charlie. I think the fact that you've been through the procurement process with a company like FedEx means you've got a good business and therefore that's a stamp of approval and if they're okay with it as Willie says and you need to check yep. um, I think that is the foundation of your promotion but then you, you've got to be out there on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok if that's applicable I sound as if I know what I'm talking about which I don't but um, you need to get <laughs> someone who actually understands these channels but you've got to market where your customers are. Now, I don't know enough about your business to understand which channels they would be looking at, etc. But um, I think it's a very innovative business you've got. I think it's a big feather in your cap. You've got FedEx, so good luck to you. I would, Brilliant, thank you. Charlie, I'll just add to that. Obviously, what you're doing here is, you, although FedEx are a big company, you're a big tick in their box in relation to, in relation to ESG. 
So I would be using that as a big, big sales pitch to the smaller businesses. You know, it'd be my whole marketing thing is if you are really concerned, right, about your carbon footprint, we can help you with that. Use us, blah, blah, blah. And here's the reason why. And, you know, I would definitely be using that. Very good point, Willie. I hadn't thought of that. But Willie's, Willie's right, Charlie. You've got a lot to offer these big companies as well. Yep. Are you happy with that advice, Charlie? Absolutely. Well, like best it. of luck, Charlie. Yep. Charlie, keep us in touch and, and yep. keep come back on the show and let us know how it's going because we want you to succeed. I will do. Good luck. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, that's all we've time for. But don't forget, you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can give us feedback or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk. If you ever miss an episode, simply search for The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Augie wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. A true managed service provider helping your business run effectively. Go.